Red Rocks Austin, we're entering into week four today of Re60, but before we get ahead of ourselves, let's celebrate something. Last Sunday, Ryan told us that it takes 21 days to create a habit, and today is day 22. So if you've been doing Re60 this whole time, you have created a habit. And I know that every day is different, which I think is good because every day of our lives is different, and it's good to keep it fresh and keep mixing up the things that you're doing as you're pursuing Jesus. But the habit that we're creating is carving out time in our schedule every single day to just be alone with God. So congratulations, celebrate that. Now, I think we're reaching the point where you may realize why people call reading the Bible, prayer, journaling, these kinds of things, spiritual disciplines, because it takes discipline to keep doing them. And discipline is a word that repels us. It's a hard sell to anybody to say, hey, as part of your relationship with Jesus, here's some spiritual disciplines for you to do. And I think that's for a couple reasons. A lot of us can take the word discipline in the meaning of chastisement and punishment and think of it in terms of, if I don't do these things, God's going to punish me. And so we may do them out of guilt or uh, obligation for a little while, but that kind of runs out because you start to reason and think, well, he's got a lot better reasons to be mad at me for things I do, not just not reading my Bible, and you phase out and you kind of stop paying attention to spiritual disciplines. Another reason may be on the other side, the religious side of things of saying, I have to do these things so God will have favor on me. I have to do these so that I can make the team, so that he'll let me in, so that he'll like me. So I got to read this much of my Bible today. I need to pray for this long. I heard that those real Christians, those varsity Christians over there, they do all these spiritual disciplines, so I need to do that. And a lot of times I think it's like doing chores to try to earn our allowance or like tryouts every day to get on the team. And the problem with how I think we interpret this word discipline so often is that it's counter to the gospel. The point of the gospel is that if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you have said yes to Jesus, then that means that you're on the team not because of what you've done or your behavior, but because of his grace. You're defined by that now. And so spiritual disciplines aren't the thing that gets you onto a team, but there's a reason for them. There's a purpose to them. And I want to talk about that today and hopefully bring some new meaning to this word because we can't just throw the word out. Disciple and discipline come from the same root, the same Latin root, and the meaning basically is you're a pupil, you're, uh, you're being mentored, you're having a teacher, you're being trained by somebody who's learned in their craft. So you're being discipled, and it takes discipline. Part of the discipleship process is the discipline of learning, of training. So when Jesus goes to his disciples, it's because he's their teacher and he's training them. And I think if we think of it in terms of our relationship with God and what Jesus actually intends for it, these disciplines become something that are foundational that we look forward to in our lives. And I got this. I was talking to my wife about trying to reframe how we think of disciplines because I love getting up in my morning and reading the Bible now, and I used to not. And we were talking about it, and she said, well, Mark 3, which we read this week, has a great moment that I think speaks to this. So, Jesus, uh, when he's appointing his apostles at the beginning of his ministry, he's saying, hey, you guys are going to be the leaders here. It says uh, in Mark 3.13, he went up on the mountain and called to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons, and then it names the 12 disciples. Interesting, cool fact to know, in this rabbinic culture, what would happen is a rabbi would come and he would train up some younger men. He would teach them his ways and the life he was living and the scriptures and all these things. The guys that Jesus chose had been passed over in that process. So nobody picked them. They didn't make anybody's team because they were poor, because of the professions they were destined for, the families they came from. Matthew was a tax collector. They had all these guys that nobody else picked to be their disciples. And Jesus picks those exact guys. And he says, hey, you're going to go change the world. You're going to be the leaders of the church. 
but first you're going to be with me. And that's the phrase from that passage that I think is so crucial for us to get is it first says, so that they would be with him, so that those guys would be with Jesus. That's the foundational thing to everything they did. And I think if you ask them at the end of their lives, some of the best moments, the most memorable times, sure, they'd have the miracle stories when they heard Jesus say this thing to this crowd or he multiplied the food or whatever it was. But I think knowing what it's like to have a group of friends, they would say, man, remember that night when we were all camping and Jesus told that joke? Remember that night that we were all just hanging around in the fire and, and Jesus talked really real to us about that thing or he was answering our questions? You've probably noticed in the Gospels a lot that Jesus pulls the guys aside and he says, hey, let's go talk about this now. Hey, we need to go to a solitary place. We got to get away from the madness and the chaos and the crowds and just be with each other. He would explain his parables in, in silence and solitude with them where he could sit with them and say, okay, here's what I'm saying. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like in that time where they were with him. And so when I wake up and I start my day and carving out that time in this habit, this discipline of spending time with Jesus, and I think of it in that way, it's so much different than I need to do these things so God will like me today. I need to do these things so that God will pay attention to me or let me be on the team. But instead, I'm already part of what Jesus is doing. And if I spend this time with him, I just get to be with him. I get to know him more. And so there's so much, uh, I think, beauty in the relationship element to our time. So speaking very practically, here's what I do. I wake up at 6 a.m. every morning. I have to because I have a one-year-old and once he's up, there's no chance that I'm going to be able to pray or have a moment of silence to read my Bible. So I get up at 6. I have some cereal. I have some black tea with some milk and some sugar because I like to feel British or European or something while I'm doing this. I have my Bible. And so right now I'll be reading the chapter um, from Re60 and, and processing that, maybe reading it again, thinking through it, writing down some things I'm learning. Maybe it's watching a Bible project video. Maybe it's spending some time to just sit and think and pray or to journal, send some text messages to friends to encourage them. And as I start my day with this, I start to feel this life welling up in me. And I think it's because I'm with Jesus. I'm spending time with him. Now, what will happen and, and why I bring this up, because I think it will start happening to you if it hasn't, is you get into this routine and you start to catch yourself like, I kind of feel like I'm just doing this to do this. Like, what's, what's the real purpose of me doing this? I'm, I'm doing these things every morning. I'm waking up extra early and I'm exhausted. And, and I think we can get so focused on the what we're doing that we continually forget why we're doing it. And this happened to me in a really poignant moment a couple years back where I had been so diligent and so disciplined about getting up, reading a chapter. I'd write all these notes. I'd journal about it, all that I'm processing, but I didn't feel a lot of life from it. And I kind of, I like had this moment with God where I was like, God, I'm doing this every morning for you. And I don't feel like I'm getting a ton out of it. And I felt this check where God was kind of like, well, let me, let me turn this back on you. Like, why are you doing this? What are you trying to get out of this time? Are you trying to make a team that you're already on? You're trying to check some boxes or compare yourself to somebody else? Or are you trying to be with me right now? And, and I felt him also say, hey, I love this time together, but it's for you. This is a gift for you. I don't need you to go read a certain amount of chapters in the Bible so that I can then go be God that day. I can take care of business. I'm God. This time is a gift for you and I cherish it. And I love it. And so I think it's so important for us to always come back to the realization of it's just spending time together and, and that Jesus doesn't need us to do that. We need it to look like him. Jesus doesn't need us to do our quiet time so that he can be Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus so that we can look more and more like him and live the life that he has for us. 
So I get into my routine. I've been doing this all through quarantine time since March and, and loving my 6 a.m. wake-ups, even though that might sound crazy to you, spending my time doing a workout, and it's, it's this amazing way to start my day. But some of the realest moments where I, I get back to why I'm doing it have been in the interruptions and the distractions during this discipline that I'm so proud that I've made myself do every single morning. And I say that because for one, a lot of times I'll sit down and I'll be reading or trying to pray and there's something that keeps coming into my mind that's going on in my life or the life of somebody I love or our church and I'm thinking about this thing, thinking about this thing. And I remember uh, in college, I heard this woman who was just like one of those people with so much wisdom talking about prayer. And she said something that's changed my prayer life. She said, when you're trying to pray, and you can't really pray the things you feel like you're supposed to pray or the things you're supposed to say to God because something's distracting you, that thing is the thing you're supposed to be talking to him about. And I think that's true of our whole relationship with God. It's not like the guys were sitting around the campfire and Peter's like, hey, Jesus, I'm really struggling right now to understand this or I really need to talk to you about something deep down in me that I feel like you need to know. And Jesus says, not time for that, Peter. Get back to reading your scroll. I think that's exactly what Jesus wanted so that Peter could be with him, so they could spend that time sitting together and processing through that. And so it's always drawing me back to why am I here? Because Jesus wants to help me and spend this time with me. And I also, in the distraction, and this is the metaphor of why I'm sitting here in my son's room right now, uh, the distraction of my son has become a beautiful metaphor that I want to close this thing out with to help you as you continue to seek Jesus every single day and be disciplined in it, but to always be drawn back to why you're doing it. So if right now you're like, every day I'm filled up, every day it's amazing, good for you. Store this video for a day down the road where you're kind of running on fumes. You feel like you're just doing it to do it. It's a religious duty or for whatever reason, and you need to get pulled back to why are you doing it? So there I am. I'm drinking my British tea, I'm reading my Bible, and I've got Zeke's little baby monitor with me. And he wakes up and he starts making some noise. And sometimes it's like he's upset because he's awake and he wants to be fed. And so I bust inside and in my head I'm thinking, oh man, I'm supposed to be reading the Bible right now. I'm supposed to be spending this time with God and now I'm going to get interrupted and Zeke's day is going to start and I'm not going to get back to that. I go to the fridge, I fill up his bottle, I heat it up, and I bring some milk into his room. I grab him out of his crib and, and I hold him and I sit in this chair and I pretty much have to hold the bottle because he's so drowsy, he's barely awake and I'm feeding him. And I've had some moments, some profound moments of sitting here and thinking about kind of the metaphor that this is for the start of my day. That I wake up and by walking out to my back porch and, and opening my Bible or saying a prayer, I'm saying to my father, hey, I need to be fed. I need to be fed so that I can go live my day. And, and now Zeke doesn't really do anything, right? Like he can't go get his bottle. He doesn't fill it up. He doesn't heat it up. He doesn't feed himself. I do that whole thing. I give him what he needs, but he calls out to me to give it to him. Just in the same way that I feel like sitting down on my back porch and saying, God, this time is with you and you alone. And I need you to feed me right now. And God's the one who gives me all of the, the amazing stories and helps me understand them better and answers prayers or challenges me in things and has these conversations. He's feeding me. And as I sit here with Zeke, feeding him, I'm not thinking he better eat a certain amount so that I can go be his dad today. He better do a certain amount this morning and, and show me that he's starting with the right regimen so that I can go do what I'm supposed to do in his life or so that I'll still love him or have favor on him. No, I'm just sitting there loving the fact that I get to hold my son because it's like the one time of the whole day because he's so busy and he likes to destroy our house all day. It's the one time of the day where I just get to have him close and he's not moving and trying to go grab something or punch my dog. I love that time because I just get to be with him. 
And I think that's how God feels about this time. I don't need that time from Zeke. I don't need it to go be his dad or go be a pastor or go be a husband. I love it. But he needs that time. He needs to be fed so he can get up and go. And some days I put him back in his crib because he's still tired and he goes back to sleep. And I don't think, really, you need more rest? Really, I fed you and you need to rest? Or some days he jumps down and he's ready to go and play and he's not paying any attention to me anymore because his day has started. I'm not thinking, oh, really, I just fed you and you're not even going to give me credit for that? I'm just happy to be with him. I'm thankful for the time that we spent together and that it's propelling him into his day. And so I, I feel like that's what God wants us to be getting out of this time is not just creating a discipline to do it, but understanding that first comes being with him. And then the second part of what Jesus said when he took his disciples up on the mountain, it says that so that he would be with them, that they would be with him, and then he would send them out to preach. And we, I think a lot of times run on fumes because we don't first spend that time with him to then go out and preach. And Jesus is saying, you will be effective. You will change lives. You will change this world. But first, you just have to be with me. And just in the same way that I love being in this rocking chair with my son, he loves spending that time with you without an agenda, without you having to meet a certain expectation so that he'll go be your father that day. He just loves that time with you, but you need it. It propels you to go love people. And my prayer is that it becomes more and more a joy that these disciplines are things that you look forward to and that you love every single morning or every single night whenever you do them and that we have this beautiful picture of a father who just wants to be with us as our foundation.